All right, thank you. Um, I'm going to start us off by opening again in the word of prayer. Father God, we thank you once again for this night, Lord, and for this time to come together to open up your word and to just have you speak to our hearts, Father. So I ask that you would open up our hearts and our minds to receive your word and that we would judge ourselves honestly according to what you have laid out for us, Father God, that you would speak life and life more abundantly uh, into our future, Father God, and that we would serve you with every ounce of who we are. So, Lord, I thank you for everyone here tonight, Lord. I thank you for your will and your purpose and your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. So the last two weeks, we took a break, and we were uh, just doing some small group stuff, which I enjoyed. I thought it went pretty well. But we've been in a, uh, in a series about biblical relationships. And so we're going to kind of jump back on that bandwagon tonight. And we've got scriptures up on the screen, um, but there's no one to run the soundboard. So we'll see how that works. Uh, so if you have your Bible, this will work out for you. But uh, last time we were together, we were talking about what is biblical manhood? Right? What, so what does that look like? What does that mean for our lives as men? And, and what does that mean for women looking at their marriage for a future husband or whatever. So tonight, however, we're going to be looking at the other side of the spectrum. And so the message for tonight is on biblical womanhood, right? And if you're not a woman in this room, it's okay. You're doing good. You're still going to learn some things, hopefully, unless you're Vincent. He knows everything, so he's good to go. But um, that's why, no, 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 but, uh, but really, um, If y'all want to kind of skip to this, you can go ahead and open up to Genesis 1, um, uh, verse 27. We'll get to that in just a second, though. So as we start talking about uh, biblical relationships, as we we go into the the realm of talking about marriage soon, in the weeks to come, um, one of the things we have to understand is how is it that God created us? as his people. How is it that God created men? What, what was their purpose? How is it that God created women uniquely, you know, for the things he has planned out for them? And how does those unique attributes play out into our relationship with him and to others um, and even before the world? And so the first thing we have to understand, especially the men in here, is that uh, women are just different, right? So... No, no amen from the women? Okay. Well, <laughs> there we go. No, but, but, but women are different, um, different than men, obviously, right? But what I mean by different is I mean, I, you know, I could really only preach. I can tell you what the word says, but I can only really tell you it from my perspective because I'm, I'm not a woman, right? And the thing is women are unique. Women are very, very unique. And to understand just how unique that women are, we have to understand that they were not just created, but that women were actually designed. That they were designed with a purpose in mind and that they were created as a masterpiece for that purpose. That women were designed by a loving God in some ways to show the beauty of his character in ways that Men just can't. 
right? And so therefore, if, if we understand that, that women are obviously different, right? They're obviously unique compared to the rest of, you know, men and creation. Then we have to understand that being designed by God, they have a very different purpose. And they have a very specific function in his creation. Did I butter y'all up yet? Okay, no. Uh, Genesis 1, in verse 27. We start, where is it? If I can find it, that would help. Wrong page. Okay. We start by reading, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Right? So when we talk about man being created in God's image, a lot of times we focus on, on the manly characteristics about the head and the provision and these things or at least that's what I hear being preached on, or we talk about, you know, kind of general neutral things, gender neutral things, like the fact that we have, you know, creative tendencies, the, the, thing, the fact that we have an eternal soul, that we have um, dominion, and we, we, we talk about these things. But the fact that it says God created man in his own image, male and female, what that means is that he created women to show a very unique part, a very special part of God's character. And if we don't really pay attention to that, we're going to miss out on the fullness of who God is. So I want you to take a second and just consider what are the things that are either unique or let's just say predominant for women um, as opposed to men, okay? Um, there are things like their compassion, right, their, their gentleness, tenderness, right, their um, emotion. Can I, can I get away with saying that? Yeah, y'all are emotional. It's okay. Their emotion, right, the depth on which they, they feel things. You know, men are so used to we just build walls and, you know, put nice shiny shields on it. We just block everything out, so it's all good most of the time, right? But, but women aren't created like that. So I want you to just take a second and build, especially for women, because y'all know y'allself better than, you know, we do. I want you to just build a list, sometimes, build a list inside your head of, of what makes women unique or different than, than men and the rest of creation. Make sure they're good things, right? No. <laughs> if you got bad things in your head, you need to get those out. That's, that's, but, and then I want you to think about that list and realize those are the, the characteristics and the attributes of God that he is trying to show about himself through women, through you, right? And we have to be very careful not to neglect that side of who God is. But the fact that men and women were both created in God's image also means that they were made with an equal value. Galatians 3.28 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So when God created you and when he created us, he created us with an equal in value. But that does not mean, however, that we don't have a different responsibility, that we don't have a different purpose and a different plan in our lives. In Genesis 2, verses, uh, starting in verse 15, and there are more Bibles in the back. If anybody wants to follow along, if, that's, if not, that's fine. Um, God spoke to Adam in the garden, 
Here, let me just read from verse 15. It says, Then the Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and to keep it. Okay? So he created man first, and he put him into his creation to have dominion over it, to, to, to work it, and to um, manage what God had given him. And then if we skip down to verse 18, it says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. And then skip down again, verses 21 through 22. It says, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which God had taken uh, from man he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. Okay, we'll just go ahead in, in verse 23. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. So we see that God designed man for a purpose in his image and that he gave him dominion and work and, and, and uh, stewardship. But then when he created woman, he created something to be his helper, to be alongside him, to give him companionship, right? And to, to something that was above I didn't read the whole context, but something that was above all the rest of creation because God took every animal before Adam and none of them, none of them were good enough, right? And so we see that God created women as helpers. And in, um, when they were created, there was this perfect relationship. Right? It says in verse 24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And then verse 25, They were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. Okay, i gotta, I got to take the chains off myself real quick. This, this podium thing just freaks me out. I just don't like it. <laughs> um, so here we have this perfect creation with this perfect couple, man and woman, and the man doing his perfect job of, of, of uh, managing and working and providing. We have this perfect woman doing the perfect job of coming alongside him and helping him in all his endeavors, helping him succeed along those things, right? Giving him companionship and love. And then, unfortunately, Genesis 3.16 comes along. And as they're in the garden, everybody, is anybody here not familiar? And just be honest, it's fine. Is anybody here not familiar with the fall of man in Genesis chapter 3 and what actually happened? Because I can give a short spiel about that so we're all on the same page. Anybody? Everybody good? Okay. So Satan comes in, right? Adam and Eve, they eat the fruit. Their eyes are open. They know they're naked. They're ashamed, right? Sin comes into the world, and suddenly this perfect system, this perfect relationship is broken. Okay? And in verse... 3.16, we, we begin, I mean, in chapter 3, verse 16, we begin to see the first um, decay of a woman's purpose, right? And God, uh, verse 16, to the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Now, I want you to consider that for a second, because we've also, we've already talked about the fact that women were created 
to be helpers, to be alongside men. Yet suddenly when, when sin came in, it says that your desire shall be for your husband. That, that does not mean she's going to want you in some crazy, happy, super way, right? Because if that's what that meant, that would be every man's favorite verse. You feel me? No, no, no. We actually, in the next chapter, when, when God is talking to Cain, he says, um, verse 4, 7, I'll read it for you. He says, and if you, do well, if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you. Sin's desire is to rule over you, to control you, to dominate you. And that's the same language he uses about uh, the woman to the man. Her desire shall be for her husband to rule over him but he shall rule over you. So now what was a perfect situation because of sin is broken, right? Because of sin is broken. And actually in verse 21, because of their sinfulness, God kills an animal. And it says also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. So God came and he covered our sins. Now, Really, that was just the intro. What we're getting into is, for a woman, what does it look like? What does it look like to put off the things of the world, the things that the world defines a woman by, and really be clothed by God, right? To fulfill that image and that purpose as a woman. That's what we're really going to talk about. So, becoming a biblical woman. First uh, Timothy 2, verses 9 through 14. The first, uh, first thing we have to understand is, just like anybody, right, nobody becomes a Christian overnight and is suddenly perfect, okay? Nobody walks around like a really great person and God is just like so impressed by this dude and then they get saved and it's all good. Like if anybody has had that experience, please let me know because I'm doing something wrong, right? All right. So one of the things we have to understand before we even start looking at these five points is that women, just like men, just like anybody else, they have to grow into that unique reflection of God's character. The first way, women, that you need to do that is biblical women clothe themselves in Christ. So 1 Timothy 2.9 says, In like manner also, that the women should adorn themselves in modest apparel, with propriety and moderation. Not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing. Right? So, here's the thing. The world will put all the pressure on you, women. Really, it will. Okay? And you know how they cover it up? Because sin is always sneaky. They cover it up by labeling it freedom. Right? Freedom. Okay? You should have the freedom to express yourself. You should have the freedom to wear, you know, denim underwear, as I call them, uh, and, you know, a bra out in public. You should have the freedom to work just as hard as any man and do all, which, yeah, you work if you want to. That's great, right? But you should have all this freedom, right? But really what the world is selling us is less clothes, right? And you know what that means for you? And y'all are the ones who grew up with the magazines in, in, in high school. I didn't have to deal with that, right? Maintaining an image. I had long hair and trip pants. I didn't have to worry about that, right? 
But that's a reality in the culture for you to maintain an image, to look like this, right? To act like that, to have something that shows your status. I've heard, I've heard young girls sit here and talk to me and cry and talk about how, you know, after God got a hold of their heart and they're looking back at how consumed they were with how many likes their Facebook status got, by how many people were following them on Instagram, you know, in, in, in how much feedback. They, and this is very real. This is a very real thing for women, right? And so all that freedom, all that self-expression, you know what that really translates into? Chains. Chains, right? All that really does, clothing yourself, worrying about, as it says here, you know, worrying about braided hair and gold and pearls and trying to clothe yourself in the world, all that's going to do is leave you feeling empty and vulnerable. And I know y'all understand what I'm talking about because I'm sure you felt it at one time. You might even be feeling it right now where you're at in your life, right? But the thing is, God has a better plan, right? He says to adorn yourself with modest apparel, with proprietor, with moderation. You see, a biblical woman has to learn not to be clothed in, with, with flash, right? Not to be clothed uh, with glamour, putting your hope in worldly things, well, if I just looked like this, somebody would love me. If I just, you know, had those shoes, if I just had, I, I don't even know, right? Like I said, I can only understand so much. But if I was just like this, then my life would be fulfilled. We have, you have to learn not to put value in appearance, right? Trying to match models, but rather to find your value, to find the beauty in having Christ shine through you. How many here, look around for a second, how many here have seen someone who was so on fire for God, you didn't even know the dude, and you just wanted to just, you just wanted to go and just spend time with that guy? You didn't even know why, right? You just were like, dude, you could just see it like flying out of his pores. Anybody ever seen someone like that? That's just like, my God, like what is up with that dude? Right? <laughs> God bless you, brother. God bless you, right? You know what that's called? That's called the Spirit of God. That's called walking in the spirit. And women, when you, allow, <laughs> when you allow those chains to fall off, when you allow your, your worth, your value, your beauty to be found in Christ, first of all, all that emptiness, all that vulnerability is gone because you will already be fulfilled, right? But secondly, people will see that. People will see that. Now, I've always been a modest person, so I'm gonna share something with you, right? I've always been modest, just, that's just me. And uh, because of that, I, I notice, and because I'm real analytical sometimes, I notice things about other people. And so in high school, there'd be these girls showing up to parties in that school, and everybody would just be drooling and talking about how, how hot this girl was, and oh my gosh. It, and I'd be looking at these girls, and they were just the most unattractive people to me. The most unattractive people, right? Everything about them was fake. They were so consumed in their own image they didn't really care about anybody else. And, you know, however you dress, is, that's up to you. But the only reason they were dressing the way they were was because of their own insecurities. And I'm not saying that to talk bad about them. I'm just saying that's what I saw. And I guess, yeah, I, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say they were ugly or not. But that wasn't attractive to me. Right? Biblical women know, need to know that their attraction and beauty comes first and foremost from a pure 
and radiant spirit that only, only a relationship with Jesus will bring, right? 1 Timothy 2, verse 10, that this, right, adorning yourself modestly with propriety, with moderation, not with braided hair, gold, or pearls, verse 10, which is proper for women professing godliness with good works, right? With good works. If you, you profess godliness, here's your, uh, here's your cheat sheet, right? So before we move on to the next point, I, wanna, I wanna, want everybody here to understand something. As I was just talking about this thing with women, there is a very big difference between, how did I write it here? Between desire and lust. Does that make sense? Okay. There's a very, very big difference between desire and lust. Okay. I don't care who you are or what you look like. If you wear short shirt, you know, short shorts and basically a bra and you walk down the street, somebody's going to want to get with you. Right? It's, if that's what you're aiming for, go for it. The world is doing it and guess what it works. You know what type of magazine sells? The ones with the ladies on it. You know what's in every movie? A sex scene. But that's lustful. And you know what happens to, the, to, to, to women when they walk in that? Yeah, they get the attention. They get the men. And the men use them, they fill their lust, and they move on. There's a very big difference between desire and lust. Do not let the world f- fool you, okay? My second, my second point is biblical women have to learn to walk in submission, okay? And there's two reasons for that, ladies. Some people are cool with that. Some people hate that, right? All this, I don't even know, what's it called? Feminism stuff? I don't know. No, I'm just like a man, do everything a man can do, can work just as hard. You know, that's great, right? But the first reason why this is important is because that's how God designed women, and I don't know about you, but I'm not a real big advocate to getting God on my bad side or me on God's bad side, however that, however that translates, right? The first reason is by God's design. We already talked about that in Genesis. The second reason, women, is actually for your own protection. And we'll talk more about this in, during the marriage section, but I want to just cover these real quick. Verses, uh, chapter 2, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. Thank you, Stephen. It says in verse 11, let a woman learn in silence with all submission. And I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Okay, so let me translate this for y'all real quick. Basically, what he's saying is, first of all, Let's look at what God did. God is the one who set this situation up, right? But he also did it for a way to protect you. See, Adam, when you read the text, we find out that while, at, while Satan is talking to the woman, Adam's just chilling right there. So he's there the whole time. So he's screwing up on his job, right? So he sinned because he knowingly ate the fruit. Eve, on the other hand, was deceived. The Bible talks about women as the, as the weaker vessel, and that's not condescending. It's just 
Even in our, in our own minds, we understand that there is some sort of difference in the makeup of man and woman. They're the weaker vessel, right? They're more controlled by emotions and things. And what you'll find out if you don't already know is though a lot of women want to be in control, they want those things. Really, when they get it, you know what comes with it? Anxiety, fear, pressure, discomfort. You ever seen a woman in, in power? <laughs> it, doesn't always, it doesn't always go so well, right? Not because women aren't good enough, or just because God designed that for a purpose, right? For them to be in submission, to have that comfort, and to be under a head, to build up that head, okay? So, and like I said, I'm going to cover more of that uh, later on the, on the marriage part. But being in submission actually means protection, and having a headship actually grounds us. Check this out, right? So I'm a man. So the Bible says that as men, we're the head of the household and all that good stuff. But guess what? I still have a head. And my head is Christ. And the the beautiful thing that I'm so crazy grateful for is that because Jesus is my head, when something's going on in my life, when suddenly disaster strikes, when provision is needed, it's not on me. It's It's on God. It's on Christ. And all I have to do is say, Lord, I need you. Your word says, seek first my kingdom and all these things will be added, added to you. Lord, you know I'm seeking you. Lord, I need you. And everything's provided. Everything shows up. All that weight falls on him. Because I'll tell you what, if that was on me, this game would have been over a long time ago. And I'd be whacked out crazy dealing with all this stuff. I'm serious, though. In the same way, women, by having that head, whether it be your parents at home or whether it be your, 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 your husband or future husband, that's actually for your protection. Because when things, if, if you're living the way God designed for a marriage to be and you're in submission to your husband and you're building up your husband and you're guiding, you're, you're helping your husband along, then when he says, no, we're going this way, even if you don't like it, if things go wrong, it's on him. That's not a joke. I'm serious. And you, so you talk to women who are older. You talk to women who have been through marriage. You talk to women who have, who have understood the word of God, and they'll tell you, I cherish that. I've heard it with my own ears. They'll tell you, I cherish that. How foolish. How foolish was I? Right? Biblical women have to learn to walk in submission. Okay? With all the emotion, with all the pull and deception of the world, it's very easy to try to take the reins, to try and, try and grab control. That's what God said was going to happen anyways right? To get some control over the craziness of life. But doing so, all that's going to happen is that women are going to lose sight of God's purpose. You're going to lose sight of God's design for your life. And the world is going to start seeing less and less of Jesus in you. That is going to be the result. Finally, if any of you are married or you're planning on getting married someday, and you develop a worldly habit of, of trying to, to um, be an authoritative person or to take the reins, take controls, and not be submissive, you're going to have a fun first year of marriage. I'll tell you what. My next point, my third point. Biblical women must maintain self-control. No one threw anything at me. Cool. Whew. All right, 
Turn with me to Titus 2, uh, chapter 2, verse 3. Okay? Starting in verse 3, and this is actually talking about older women. Okay? But basically why he's talking to to older women is because he's saying, y'all should have this down. Right? So we're going to take a look at that. Verse 3. The older women, likewise, that they be... uh, Well, should I back up? No, okay. The older women, likewise that they should be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, but rather teachers of good things. Okay? So as a woman of God, as a biblical woman, the first thing that should define your character, the first thing you should try to, to really build yourself into is a spirit of reverence before the Lord. Does anybody here know what reverence is? Can someone tell me what the definition of, of reverent is? Respect. The definition is a high level of respect or regard, right? You think of people who we normally, I'll say normally, have a high level of respect for. Let's say the president, right? Let's say we had a, let's say George Washington was still president, okay? He walks in the room, what is everybody going to do? You're going to stand up, right? You're going to shake his hand, you're going to say, yes, sir, no, sir, right away, sir. Thank you, sir, right? That's a, high, that's, rever- that's a high level of respect. How much more does God deserve? And the thing I love about reverence is, is not only should you be respecting Christ in your high, to the highest regard, but if you're really doing that, that'll become a very visible change in, your, in, your, in who you are. That'll ch- transform your entire character. People will start seeing Jesus in you. Not only should you be reverent to uh, Christ, but also the Bible tells us in various places as it talks about headship, as it talks about creation, to have um, a level of of reverence or or respect. Ephesians 5. 5? Yes. Ephesians 5. Women, respect your husbands. Respect your husbands. Right? It'll be well for you. I promise. But he goes on to say, not slanderers, right? Watching the content of your mouth, the content of your heart. And I know because I see the little gossip groups. They still happen past high school, okay? Don't be part of that. Nothing about that is pleasing to Christ, right? And it says, not given to much wine, okay? Not falling into substance abuse, not falling into, into uh, chasing the, the allure of drugs or alcohol, but finding your, uh, your provision in Jesus. But finally, it says that they should be teachers of good things. Now, does that raise a red flag for anybody when it's, uh, when it's saying a woman should be a teacher of good things? Does that bother anybody in here? Okay, good. Some people that bothers. We just read a verse that says women should not be teachers over men, right? But part of the ministry that God has created inherently in women is to be teachers, teachers over children, right? Guess what? I'm not home most of the time. So, you know, I want godly children. I want strong, healthy children. I want to come home and know my kids are alive and they've eaten some, right? You know who's in charge of that? My wife. And yeah, I might have the opportunity to go witness in the streets to tell people about Jesus, to do these things in ministry, but she has a 24-7 ministry that never, ever, ever stops. Her children, her family, her husband, 
probably needs it the most. <laughs> no. Um, right? But also, biblical women, my fourth point, need to be teaching others, encouraging others to be pure and faithful before the Lord. Okay? Titus 2, 4 through, uh, two, four through 5. Um, teachers of good things, that they admonish, which means warn or urge the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Now, I want you to think of that, you know. Most, Most mothers, most married women, most girls who aren't single and just living life. You know what I see? Not all, but you know what I see? Most of the time they're alone. They're alone. And the ones I do see them together are usually like, you know, drinking wine and like throwing crazy parties and doing really weird stuff. So there's not a whole lot of a middle ground, right? But God's design for women, sorry, that's just the truth, all right? I don't know. God's design for women is actually to, to be that strength for one another, Right? guess what? Nothing has changed in a long time. Even if you're a wife back in King's David, you know, age, every single man that was an Israelite was prepared to go to war. And he had a job. So when he wasn't working, he was probably at war, which meant what? Women, you at home alone. And still today, in many cultures around the world, just like it was in Jesus's day, the women all get up together at the same time in the morning. They walk a mile or so down the road to a well, they fill up their buckets with water, and they walk back. And I was here, I heard a story from my pastor, Pastor Mark, about someone who was uh, doing ministry work in one of these areas where they still do that, and they were going to build a, a well closer to the village. And the woman said, no, 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 no. He's like, what are you talking about? It's going to save you so much work, so much time. And they said, no, you don't understand. That's our time. I'm serious. That was the women's time where they got together. They had fellowship. They taught one of the older women taught the younger women. They encouraged each other. They got to they got to teach one another about loving their husbands, about loving their their children, about doing the right thing, not being overcome with anguish and sorrow and these things. And they strengthened one another. And that is God's will for women. Biblical women need to teach each other, strengthen each other in being pure and faithful to the Lord. Right. And there's, as we, I went through this list, he, he listed some very interesting things. One of it says to be discreet. You know, I looked that word up just, just because I look words up sometimes. All right, I do that, okay. And I was actually surprised by what discreet means. Actually, the definition is to be individually separate and distinct. God's will for you is to be individually separate and distinct from the rest of the world, from the rest of the women. Man. And yet women nowadays, young girls in high school, <laughs> God says, I want you to be special. And they're just trying to blend in. Breaks my heart. To be chaste, to be pure, right? Refraining from lewdness, inappropriate relationships, to be homemakers, to stay busy, pleasing their head, doing the things around home and that stewardship God has given them rather to parents or to husbands, right? 
um, doing all things together to, to the Lord. This is just, I'm adding to this, obviously. And finally, it says at the end of verse 5, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Now, that's very interesting. I looked up blaspheme too. And basically what blaspheming means is saying anything against, anything offensive against the Lord, his word, his truth, right? That's blaspheming, okay? If I said Jesus Christ was the devil, that would be blaspheming, right? That's not true, obviously. If you think that's true, let's talk afterwards so we can straighten that up, okay? Here's the thing. Women created in God's image, created in a unique way to show unique attributes of who he is. When you allow yourselves, this goes for men too. We talked about this already though, so y'all are getting the now. But when you allow yourself to be drawn away into the world, when you allow yourself to be separated, not from, from you know, uh, lewdness and these things, but actually separated from holiness, when you allow yourself to fall into to anger and control and worry and all these things in a way where it doesn't lead back to Christ, right? Because you're the image of God, you are now actually blaspheming the word of God. You're actually blaspheming God's character, okay? Older women, likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to wine, teachers of good things. I'm going to skip this, that the word of God may not be blasphemed, okay? Now, my final point, that's a whole lot of stuff to, to do. Right? That's a whole lot of stuff to work on. That's a lot of pressure. That's a lot of things, right? It's actually freedom, but it's still a long list. My final point, however, is biblical women. Everybody still awake? Everybody still with me? You got one more in you? Can you make it? Okay. Biblical women find their rest in Jesus. Not their husbands. Not your boyfriend. Not your kids. Not your hobby. Not your career. They find their rest and their fulfillment. They find that, that hole, they fill that at the feet of Jesus. Luke 10, verses 38 through 42. There's this story, one of my favorite stories. It's about two ladies named Mary and Martha, Martha and Mary, right? And it says, now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus's feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. Anybody here, any of y'all girls have sisters? Right? Okay, now let me ask this. Was your sister the worthless one that didn't do anything, or was that you? No, don't answer the question. I'm just kidding. Okay. So he says, therefore, tell her to help me. Verse 41, and Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. You see, women, especially if you're married, you have kids, if you're getting into a career, if you're going to college, there's a lot of distractions. There's distractions to be better. There's distractions on, on trying to fulfill an image, to be something for somebody, right? There's distractions in your work life. There's distractions. There's dishes to do, clothes to wash, kids to feed. There's so many distractions. But, you know, Jesus gives us a little inside, uh, insight into the story. And he says all that distraction only leads to two things. 
worry and trouble. Worry and trouble. And you're going to lose that one thing you're actually looking for, which is peace in your heart. You see, there was two sisters, one named Martha, one named Mary. Mary, while there is apparently work to be done, Mary chose to sit at Jesus' feet. Yeah, there were other things, but that time, that was her priority. She spent time with him. She heard his words. And Jesus says she chose the good part, and what she received will not be taken away from her. There's so much work, so much distraction, so many things to struggle with women to try to be this or that, like we just said. Even just trying to please God sometimes. But in all things, before all things, find your rest and strength in Jesus. Because what he, what God puts in your heart, what God fills you with, no one can take away. And you will be blessed above all other women. So I want to leave you, I want to close this message with one last verse. And this is for everybody. This is Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you, Lord, <laughs> that you are Lord. I thank you for, for putting women in our life, Father God, to, to challenge us, to teach us, Lord, to show us what faith looks like, to show us what love looks like, to show us what compassion looks like, Lord. I thank you for the faithful women that you've put in our, in our past, in our family, in our church. And Lord, I ask that you would just rebuke, Father God, all the lies of the world, all the chains that Satan has put across their heart, Father God, around their lives, Lord, that you would break those chains and that you would allow the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, to guard their hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So if anybody here um, knows that they've really been struggling, really been worrying, really been allowing the world, allowing their life to pull them away from Christ. And there was something in this message that tugged on your heart. This is that time we can take that before the Lord and we can sit at Jesus' feet and say, Lord, forgive me. Lord Jesus, take away my anxiety. Take away my fear. Take away my whatever it is, my distractions. Lord, let me focus on you. And Father, teach me how to be the woman or the man or the man that you would have me be. Let me find rest at your feet. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Now, before we, uh, before we get back into uh, do worship again, Vincent, where are you at?